This is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is your home for survivors like myself and those who are searching to find meaning to their why. In season two, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed immediately by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the business, marketing, coaching, and financial worlds. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed or has been edited. As a board-certified wellness coach, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate if you could share it and subscribe. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Terry Tucker has been through nine years of garbage, which has left him broken and bruised. But his greatest foe cannot take away his spirit for living. He must find that other 60% to change the scorecard from victim to victor. Hi, Terry. It's good to see you. Hey, Savio. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Sure. So what would you like coaching on today? Actually, I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to have more patience with people. You would like it's to really, have more patience. Yeah, yeah I, I, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about, you know, people getting, you know, control of their minds and things like that. And it sometimes it, I, I just have issues when they don't, you know, when it, when it, when it's more like, you know, hey, yeah, this sucks right now, but s- stop being down here and get yourself off the ground. And let's move forward. And and I. I find myself, I you know, and, and again, probably more centered in my chest, like, oh, come on, you know, you can do this. So I guess more patience is something I'm I'm looking to to garner from this. So what I'm hearing is you want sort of more patience in the people that you serve. You find that you kind of want them to move forward, but there's a sort of a personal patience that you want to cultivate. Is, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So what would be a great outcome for today's session? that I'd walk away with with more patience when I'm, you know, dealing with other people that, you know, either are in my same boat or, or in, in a similar situation as myself that, um, and, and I, I know it's not right to project my feelings, my thoughts, you know, my, uh, the, the way I approach things onto other people. That, that That's not fair to them. It's not fair to me, you know, to do that. But yeah, I, I mean, I do find myself uh, getting upset. I don't know, not so much with them, but more with myself. Like, why, you know, why can't I get these people to to move forward? Why why are they stuck? Why are they afraid? Why, why? I'll leave mm-hmm. it at why. So a good outcome would be figuring out that why, in the sense yeah. of patience. Correct. 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 So how does how do, has patience showed up in your life? You know, I, I think I've spent most of my life, 
you know, I'm six foot eight inches tall, and I always think that God, I was in line too long to get height, and not, and I was not in line enough to get patience because I, I, I've never been a patient individual. I've, I've, I've always wanted, I've always been uneasy when it comes to, to you know, things that I want. I, I want to go at them full tilt, you know, and 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 that's fine for me. But then to project that onto other people that I care about or that I'm with and, you know, now and say, Hey, you need to have the same intensity or, or whatever the word is you want to use that I do, you know, and when you don't, then that makes me uncomfortable. Hmm. When you think of patience in general, what are some adjectives or virtues? That's a great question. Um, I keep wanting to, you know, to use the word to define the word, and that's obviously not going to not going to work. But I, I guess calm, um, relaxed. I mean, part of me wants to say, and and this isn't the right word, but part of me, you know, not that I don't care, but being in a situation where. You know, I can present this to you and then it's your choice whether or not you choose to sort of pick up the, the gauntlet and, and move forward with me or to say, no, I'm I'm where I'm comfortable where I am. I'm happy where I am. I'm scared where I am and I'll, I want to stay in this place. And you're going to have to go on sort of without me, I guess. You mentioned a couple of words there, calm and relaxed. Where in your body do you feel that the most, this idea of calm and relaxed? I mean, I think when I'm not patient, I feel it in my chest. I feel, you know, I feel it kind of in my, maybe my upper body, my shoulders, my chest and things like that, where it's, it just tightens up and it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like you're getting ready to engage in some type of a, of a fight or a conflict and, you know, you're tensing and you're, and you're, you're getting yourself ready for that. Mm. Would you like to explore this tightness in the chest? Sure. Okay. Just want you to get relaxed in your seat. If you feel inclined, you can soften your gaze or close your eyes to go more inward. Just want you to take three deep breaths in and three deep breaths out. And we're just going to do a quick body scan. Just want you to breathe into the body parts I mentioned. So the top of the head, the eyes. The nose, the cheeks, the lips, the neck, the upper body, the stomach, the chest, your torso, your legs, your feet. Just take three dips. Deep breaths in and three deep breaths out. I just want you to recall a time when you felt this impatience in your chest. Describe it to me. I guess it's just a, a, a tightening of the of the muscles in my chest and in, in, in my upper body, my shoulders across my my chest, you know, from shoulder to shoulder. Just a, a, a tightness, tightness of the muscles. 
Does it have a shape of any kind? No, I, I wouldn't say it. no. No. If it could speak, what would it say? Calm down. <laughs> Relax. Uh, take it easy. Uh, don't be so stressed. Have you always heeded its advice? No. I'd say probably just the opposite. I I rarely heed it. I mean, it's. I, th I think, you know, in a lot of ways it goes back to my, you know, I, I was in athletics my entire life up through college. And, you know, it's sort of just that engaging. It's time to engage. It's time to compete. It's time to get out there and, and go after it. And relaxing, you know. I don't know. Maybe relaxing would have would have made me a better player, but you know, I'm 60 years old, and at this point in time, I'm not saying I can't change. I certainly can, but it's it's just the way I've all, I I have been up to this point in my life. What would life be like if you did listen to it? It would probably it, it, it wouldn't probably it would be it would be more relaxed. It would be more calm. It would be more centered. Would you still achieve the things you've achieved? Not sure I know the answer to that question. I mean, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe, you know, maybe yes for some things and, and maybe no for others. And don't ask me what those some things are because I'm not sure I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anyone in your life that you look up to when it comes to having patience? I, I, I mean, and, you know, my wife and I were talking about this before the show about you know what what are you going to say? What are you going to you know? And she said the same. She said, "Gee, I should that should be what I ask for." You know more patience and things like that. I, I, I mean, I think for me, you know, being fairly religious in that, I mean, God, you know, somebody who it's just, you know, like I'm in control. You don't, you don't need to be, you know, I, I've got this all worked out. Don't, don't try so hard. You mentioned being very competitive in, in your college days. How does that show up in your life now? You know, I've I've always been a a competitive person. I've I've always wanted to to be the best person that I could possibly be, and I I don't I don't like losing. Although I've certainly lost a lot in my life, lost people, lost relationships, lost jobs, lost things that. Um, you know, lost basketball games, lost, you know, things like that. So, I mean, loss is certainly a huge part of life. I get that. You need to accept it. You need to, to learn from it. You need to move on from it and that. But I, I don't like, um, I, I want myself and everybody that I come in contact with to be the best person they could possibly be. And, and again, sometimes I project what I believe their best person should be. And I and that that's that's not right. It's certainly not fair to that. So, what does Terry want? I I I, I want to be the best person I can possibly be. 
What's the fight of your life right now? Oh, fight of my life is absolutely the the cancer that is is attacking my body. And what's your relationship to that cancer? It's a foe. It's a foe. It is. Tell me more. It, it's it's an adversary. It, it doesn't belong here. Um, on the one hand, on the other hand, it, it's made me a better person. Uh, it's it's made me stronger. It's made me more resilient. It's made me have to control my mind more. So it's it's definitely. I guess I've used it to make me a better person. It's not something I want. It's not something that if somebody, you know, offered say, hey, I can take this away from you, I wouldn't be like, oh, absolutely not. It'd be like, it's gone. It's gone now. Um, and, you know, I've been, I've been dealing with this since 2012, so a little over nine years now. And, you know, it, it's, it's been an adversary. You know, it's, it's taken my foot took my leg last year but it it hasn't taken me hasn't taken you if i was a scorekeeper what's how does it shake up uh i i mean i'm losing i'm you know i i um yeah i'm losing in 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 the probably the battle if you if you want to call it that i'm losing in my uh, it, it's it's gaining ground in my body, and and by that, you know, if you want to put it on a scorecard, you know, it's the more ground it gains, the less life that I uh, that I have, the the less time that I have. Um, so from that perspective, yeah, it's 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 definitely gaining ground. If cancer was, um, you know, personified as an opponent, what do you think it wants from you? My life. Any idea why? That's what it's supposed to do. I, I mean, that's what it was designed to do. You know, I mean, it's <clears throat> whether we like it or not. I mean, it's. We all have, you know, these, these abnormal cells in our body and things like that. Mine just happened to get out of control and, and has, like I said, you know, it's cost me my foot, cost me my leg. But, you know, I think back to the old, uh, I don't know how many years ago, Jim Valvano, the, the basketball coach, North Carolina State, who had that great speech on the SPs when he received the award, you know, cancer can't take, I don't know, what, can't touch my heart, can't touch my mind, can't touch my spirit, my, my soul. And, and and I, you know, I back then I didn't understand it. I, I certainly understand it now. It it can't. It can take my body, but it can't take who I am. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a few things there that 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 coach mentioned. If you check in with your heart, what does it what does it want to do with your heart? I mean, my physical heart, you know, I, I think it wants to take it over. But, you know, the emotional side, the love part of it and stuff like that, I mean, it, it certainly has given me the opportunity to be more um, centered, for lack of a better word, um, you know, to appreciate uh, 
the things that are really important in life, you know, money, power, prestige, all those kind of things, not important. Can't take them with you when, you know, when you go, but you certainly can take, you can take the love with you. So it's certainly given me a better perspective of how important love is to, to put that out into the world. I mean, I think especially in today's society, you know, when we're screaming at each other so much and, and, you know, everybody's so polarized, why, why can't we treat each other better? Why can't we put more love into the world? Why can't we be kinder to people and stuff like that? I mean, that's kind of, kind of where I am right now with, with whatever time I do have left. And if cancer was something you could talk to, what do you think you need from cancer right now? Um, I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I mean, physically I need a break. I, I, you know, I, I, I just, which I won't get. And, and I know that. And, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, I'm, I'm, I get treated for an entire week and then I get two weeks off. I'm in the two week off, uh, period right now. Um, and what they're doing to treat it is, is helping. It is shrinking the tumors and, and, you know, I'm, I'm able to breathe better and different things like that. So, but, you know, I, I could certainly use a break, but like I said, I, I'm not going to get a break. It's not going to give up and I, neither am I, you know, w- one of us is going to win. So how can you give yourself a competitive advantage here? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if I have an answer to that. I, I mean, I think I'm at a, at a situation where I think I'm doing everything physically that I can be doing. I, I think I'm doing that, you know, the traditional route that my doctors are recommending. And then I also, you know, how I eat and what I, what I eat, what I don't eat and things like that to try to, to mitigate that. You know, you, you don't have to be a, a rocket science to know that when they want to see what the, can, you know, where the cancer is in your body, they give you a PET scan, which, which is basically injecting radioactive sugar in your body. And, you know, you, it doesn't take a genius to say, well, you know, you do that because the cancer will take up that radioactive sugar at a, at a higher rate than a higher metabolism, metabolism than the rest of your cells. Well, probably shouldn't be eating a whole lot of sugar, at least not a whole lot of processed sugar and things like that. I mean, obviously fruits and vegetables and things like that, that may contain sugar. Sure. You know, I mean, that's, that, that's something that we, that we can use. So, you know, I mean, I think I'm doing everything I can do to, to fight it. I mean, I, I, I know uh, I'm not quitting. I know I'm not giving up. I'm, I won't. I mean, I'll, if it's if it you know if it's going to kill me, then then it's going to kill me. But it but I'm going down fighting. I'll tell you. That much. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. how does your support system look like? I've got a great support system. I've got a wife and daughter that are have been with me through the beginning. My, my daughter was in high school. Our, our daughter was in high school when, when this occurred. And, you know, my wife and I made a conscious decision to, we will not lie to her. We will, we will tell her what's going on. Obviously back then age appropriate for what she could understand and things like that. I mean, now she's, she's an adult. So, you know, she's involved in all this and, and, and they're probably my support systems, you know, 
I kind of tell it, it's a sort of a funny story. You know, after I had the leg amputated and I knew my doctor wanted to recommend chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs. And I was like, you know, I, I don't think I want to do that. I, I just I just don't think I want to put myself through that. And, you know, I remember coming home and, and talking to my daughter and, and my wife and we had a family meeting and we took a vote and I was outvoted two to one. And so now I'm doing chemotherapy. So, you know, my support system is, you know, those are the people that, that I rely on. I mean, you know, I, I talk about a lot of times I talk about the three F's, you know, faith, family and friends. You know, I have a tremendous faith. I, you know, I, I realize God has has this under control, although there are a lot of times I don't let him control it, that I try to control it. Um, you know, I have family that care about me. I have, you know, two brothers. My mother's still alive and things like that. Good support system there. And and I have, you know, a, a decent amount of friends, although I will tell you that, that when I got cancer, there were people that I thought were, were friends that this scared and they kind of backed off and, and, and backed away. And, and that's something they've got to deal with. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I people can ask me anything they want about the disease, about, you know, being having, you know, limbs amputated and things like that, about, you know, how I feel about death, about what, I mean, I've planned my own funeral. I've got everything worked out. It's all, you know, and people say, well, that's defeatist. I'm like, well, no, that's a gift to my family who I'm sure will deal with a very difficult time as I die and, and then has to plan the entire service and everything. No, I, I don't want them to have to do that. I just need them to make one phone call and it's all taken care of. So that was something that I was adamant about doing, um, especially this last time when I found out that I was going to need my leg amputated and that I had these tumors in the lungs. So yeah, the, I mean, the three F's kind of sustained me through this. I mean, I, I could, I, I would have a very, very hard time doing this by myself. Hmm. And so how does the day-to-day obstacles work for you? How do you get through them? You know, I am kind of a head-on kind of guy. You know, I, I mean, although I, I'm also smart enough to realize that, you know, sometimes hitting your head against the wall isn't the, the best way to to get there. I mean, sometimes you need to go over or around or through to to, to make whatever you, you need to take care of. And, you know, for me, it was... I mean, when I lost my foot, it was learning to walk again. You know, when I lost my, lost my leg, I, I have not been physically at a point where where I can use a prosthetic leg. I have a prosthetic leg. I just haven't had the, you know, I, I am, I'm so depleted during the week that I'm in therapy and then usually for the week afterwards. And, and then that second week is kind of kind of a crapshoot. You know, you, maybe you're feeling better, maybe you're not. I only get so many physical therapy visits. So I'm, I'm, I've talked to my doctor about, you know, look, I need some time to learn to walk again, you know, and that. So, I mean, that's an obstacle that, I mean, is there. It's something that I, I need to control, but it's also something that I'm smart enough to realize that, you know, I, I don't want to do a physical therapy visit and then I can't be with, you, you know, the physical therapist for two months and everything we're, we built on, now we got to start over with again. So, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm. I mean, I guess that's kind of where I am with that. So, Terry, if I just had a had an ability to create a, a magic for you right now with with the game of your life, tell me what would that look like? I'm not sure I understand the question. If I had the ability to create a wish for you in this game of your life right now, you and cancer. I, I wish you'd take it away. 
So what would life look like if I took it away? You know, boy, that's a great question. I mean, you know, having dealt with this for nine years, it's mm-hmm. it's so entrenched in our lives. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, to be able to to just do the, you know, just do the things that our neighbors do. You know, I, I mean, even now with COVID, it, it's like, you know, no, I, I, can't, I can't go to that event. I can't do that kind of thing. Or I, I shouldn't say I can't. I, I certainly can. But the risks are not something that I guess I, I, I want to do right now. I had a friend of mine's wife die and I, I'm, you know, I'm not vaccinated yet. So I'm like, I, I can't, I can't come to the funeral. I mean, I, I can support you in other ways, but I, but I can't come to the funeral. Uh, I mean, it, it's certainly, I, I mean, I haven't worked in nine years. I, I, I you know, that this is just, this has consumed my life for the last nine years and, and, and certainly the life, of my family, you know, and you think you're good. And then, you know, it pops back up on you and you're like, okay, now we got to, we're going back into fight mode. We got to go back and get it. And, you know, I, I have no doubt that it, in, at a certain point in time, you know, I will have exhausted all the tools in the toolbox. And then it's just going to be a matter of, you know, it, will it win? Will it take over the rest of my body? Yeah, probably it will. And and that's okay. I'm not saying that, you know, I, I have certainly made peace with that because I feel that I have, you know, I have found my purpose in life. I have lived that purpose. So death doesn't really scare me. It's not something that, you know, I'm really apprehensive about in, in a way, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, based on my faith, I really kind of feel almost excited to see what's on the other side of life or death, however you want to put it. So... I don't know what not having cancer would look like. I would have to sort of reinvent myself to, mm. to, to figure that out. So what would be that first step to reinvent yourself? What would that first step be? I, I guess just, you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, for me, the first step would be, to try to learn to walk again, to try to be able to be more self-sufficient. Um, you know, I, I mean, we're fortunate we have a house with a main floor master. So, I, I mean, I really, I mean, it's been a year since I've had my leg amputated. I have not been upstairs. I have not been down in the basement. Yeah, you know, just because uh, it, it's physically difficult to do. Uh, so, Everything is on one level. I mean, the only time I go out of the house is literally to go to the hospital for treatments. I always laugh when, you know, I go for a test at the hospital. It's like, you know, have you traveled outside the United States in the last 30 days? Usually look at the person and say, geez, I haven't traveled outside the house in the last 30, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a joke, but I mean, it's, it's true. And that, so I guess kind of opening myself up more to the experiences that are going on that I know that I'm missing out on. Uh, would probably be something. I, it certainly would be something I'd want to get. I would, would would like to get going on. Can you make those incremental moves right now? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I you know we, we've got our our shot scheduled to get the vaccine, and and you know I think we're moving in that direction. Um, and and yeah, I, I mean we have kind of that we have a sort of. A, 
we live in a cul-de-sac, so the guys in the neighborhood, we, we used to get together and go to restaurants and stuff like that for lunch, you know, once a month or something like that. You know, now we kind of do driveway lunches where we're socially distanced, but we all kind of hang out. And, you know, it, it was warm here last weekend, so we kind of had our first one of the year. And, and those those are incredibly enjoyable for me, you know, to kind of catch up with these guys. And they're all, they're all much younger than I am and stuff. And, you know, I have small kids and things like that. So it, we're, we're all at little different stages of life, but we have a great time when we get together and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that, you know, certainly winter makes it a little more difficult with weather to to do things. And now that spring's here and, and you know, we're kind of opening up, I, I have no doubt that I'll that I'll get more engaged with that. Hmm. So Terry, we spoke a lot about sort of this idea of patience. How does this all shake up right now for you? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, we kind of kind of explored a whole lot more than patience there, I guess, didn't we? Um, you, you know, I, I, I spend my time, and, and I think I, I've talked to you about this off the air, you know, I, I spend my, my sort of two weeks that I have off depending on how I'm feeling, you know, doing podcasts with, with doing other podcasts where, you know, I try to hear, here's how I try to live my life. I, you know, by, by controlling my mind, by, by taking that pain and by doing all this kind of stuff. And I, I, I believe in it. I, you know, I, I, I don't just believe in it. I mean, it resonates with me. It's in my heart. It's in my soul. It's kind of, it's kind of who I am. It's kind of how I have come to survive all this garbage and, you know, I have these four truths that I literally, with my faith and these four truths, that those are how I make decisions in my life, you know, and whereas people, a lot of people move away from pain, you know, our, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain, you know, seek pleasure. For me, I've kind of done just the opposite. I've had so much of it that I've just now taken it and turned it, turned it inside, use it as fuel, use it as energy to to make me stronger, to make me more determined. And, and, and you know, and, and it goes back to, to the patient's thing. It works for me. You know, it, it's, I, I found a way to make it work. And I try to expound on that and, and so that other people can maybe use it and, and maybe work for them. And when I see people that, that don't or that, you know, are, are just down and choose to stay down. I mean, we all get down. Don't get me wrong. I get down. You know, bad things happen. I, you know, I've got to go for treatment on Monday. Sunday won't be a great day, but I choose not to stay there. And again, I'm not talking about people that are clinically depressed and need medication and things like that. I, I that, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, I'm talking about the everyday things that we all deal with in life. You know, the I lost my job, I lost my spouse or girlfriend. I, you know, I had a car accident. Whatever. You know, we oh, it's a bad day. Okay, well, it's your choice whether to make you know, to stay in that bad place or to get up. So I just, I, you know, I want people to, to realize they can, they can do a whole lot more than they think they can. So what do you think the answer is between patience and doing? I, I don't, I don't know if I am qualified to make that decision for other people, I guess is really the answer. I, I, I mean, I can present the information and then it's up to you to take it. And it's up to you to say, yeah, that worked for me or, you know, that didn't work for me. And, and like I say, I, I don't have all the answers. I, I don't, you know, there's no, no S on my chest and I don't wear a cape, you know, so I, I, I don't have all the answers. But I, I think I have been doing this long enough and have been in, involved in this, as I, you know, I call it all this garbage for, for so many years now that I figured out a way to have 
a good life uh, without constantly being depressed and constantly being, and I certainly, you know, I mean, I think if you look, I haven't really described everything, but, you know, if you look at my circumstances for the last nine years, I don't, it's kind of the old Winston Churchill quote, you know, when you're going through hell, keep going. It's like, I don't think too many people would look at me and say, yeah, you didn't really go through hell. I've been through hell and, but I've learned how to take that and use it to make me stronger as opposed to make me weaker. So I, I, I guess just putting it out there and let people do with it what they want is, is probably the best way to handle it. Putting it out there and let people do what they want. And how does that feel in, in your chest? You described earlier it, it being constricted. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I, I guess I just, I've, I've never been a person that's quit. I've never been a person that's given up. I've never been somebody who's just, you know, threw in the towel and say, that's it. Like I say, don't get me wrong. There, there are certainly days that, you know, are tough. I mean, there were, you know, there are days, there were, there were days early on when, when I literally prayed to die. It's just, I hurt so bad and I was in so much pain and I get that. And, and I realized that, you know, we all have a certain threshold of pain and I don't care who you are. I mean, there's, there's a certain threshold that we all have and, we, we just can't take more than that. And, and, and we have to do whatever we have to do to, to try to get ourselves out of it. But I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know how to answer your question, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Terry, we're coming pretty much at the end of this sort of coaching portion. But if this was a sort of the pages of your life and this was a chapter, what would the chapter title be? I, I don't know. If, if, I guess if I had to have one word or something like that, it'd probably be perseverance, grit. Uh, you know, something something like that. Um, what what I learned over the last nine years or something like that. Wow. You know? Yeah. Well, I think this is a good point to sort of transition into the interview section. So tell my uh, you know listeners more about you and and your story. So I born and raised in in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, oldest of three boys. I mean, you, you can't tell this, but I'm six foot eight, and, and I played college in, or basketball in college. Got a brother that's six seven that was a pitcher for the University of Notre Dame, and I got another brother who was six six who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers and the National Basketball Association. And then my dad was six five, but my five eight mother was the boss of, of all of us, you know, and. Uh, like I said, athletics, huge part of my life, always has been uh, growing up. Um, when I graduated from college, I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. And um, my first job out of college was in the marketing department at Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. Um, from there, I went to hospital administration. Then I really kind of lived my passion. I always wanted to be in law enforcement. My grandfather was a a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So was in that, you know, time of prohibition and, and the gangs shooting up Chicago and Al Capone and all that kind of stuff. And I, I didn't want to be a policeman because of that. Uh, my grandfather died when I was like six or seven. So I really didn't know him very well. But my grandmother, his his wife lived until I was in college. So I always kind of heard the stories in that. And, and that was just, that was my passion. And, and, my dad was dead set against it. 
and my dad was my hero. And so I didn't want to do anything to upset him when I got out of college. Uh, you know, I got that first job at Wendy's, but I also lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my dad and my grandmother, who were both living with us in the same house, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. So cancer is kind of always seems like it's always been in my life or, you know, at some point has always touched it. But wanting to be in law enforcement, you know, I, I, I kind of joke. I did what every good son did. I waited till my dad passed away to follow my dreams, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> You know, so I, I, I did, you know, law enforcement and you know, I was a undercover narcotics investigator. I was on the SWAT team as a hostage negotiator. I loved doing that. It was it was a great job. But, you know, as I alluded to earlier, the, the three F's, faith, family and friends. My wife is the primary breadwinner, lost her job and we had to move. So I had to give that up. Uh, started a school security consulting business and became a high school basketball coach. And that's kind of how the cancer started. I had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot and uh, didn't think much of it because I was a coach. You know, I was on my feet a lot. And then when that didn't, uh, when it didn't heal, I went to a friend of mine who was a podiatrist and he ended up doing the, the, the normal things. I put pads in your shoes and stuff like that. And then when that didn't work, he took an x-ray and I had a cyst in there and he, and he cut it out and, you know, said, I've seen thousands of these, no big deal. Well, it was a big deal. It was this very rare form of of melanoma. And uh, he said, you know, you, you should be treated at MD Anderson, which is probably one of the best cancer hospitals in the States. I did, had two surgeries, and then I was put on a, a drug called interferon to, to kind of keep the, the disease from coming back. And I took a weekly interferon injection for four years and seven months before I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees uh, due to the toxicity of the drug. But it kept the disease away. Um, but I had the flu for two or three days every week for almost five years. So, you know, imagine having the flu, your chills, nausea, vomiting, all, you know, headache, body, the whole thing for two or three days every week for five years. And I remember when my doctor said, you know, I want to put you on this drug and here's what it's going to do to you. And I kind of looked at her like, you're nuts. I mean, what, what, what idiots is going to want to do this? And she's like, well, you, <laughs> so, so I, so I did. And then the disease came back and, you know, I kind of went through that. So that, that's, that's kind of my life. That's kind of where I am now. And, uh, like I said, I'm on this clinical trial and I'm doing well in terms of, you know, some of the other people are not showing any, any reaction at all. I am showing a decrease in the size of my tumors. So. I'm fortunate in that regard. So earlier you mentioned going through nine years of garbage. If someone's listening right now and they're just smelling that stench, what would you say to them? Um, I, I, I tell them to, you know, I, I tell them to keep going. I, I tell them that, you know, that, and, and, and I've seen this, I've seen this over the course of nine years where people really kind of get to the end and, and, you know, they're, they're just physically and mentally and emotionally depleted. I mean, they, they have nothing left to give. And, and I, I remember my own self being in that situation. Being I, I was on a, a biologic therapy of two drugs that they tried before they amputated my foot that, that didn't work. But the, the side effects of those drugs were, were, were terrible. And, and I remember... The, the sort of the, the culmination was I woke up in the middle of the night thinking I was having a heart attack. I couldn't breathe. I was having chest pain. And 
my wife took me to the emergency room and it was actually a reaction from the drugs where I had a blood clot in my lung and flew it around the sack of my heart. But I remember laying on the, the gurney, laying on the table in the emergency room and everybody running around doing stuff. And my wife there, literally with tears rolling down my cheeks, I looked at my wife and I said, just please let me die. Just let me out of this. Let, let, let me get out of this. And I, and I remembered, and I don't know why, maybe because it wasn't my time. I remembered a story that I had read about a uh, the owner of a professional sports team here in the United States that paid a United States Navy SEAL, probably one of the toughest group of people, soldiers, men in the world, to come and live with his family for a month and teach them to use their mind to do more than their bodies ever thought they could do. And one of the things he talked about was the 40% rule. And this rule says that if you're, if you're at the end of your rope, if you think you're done, you, you can't do another push-up. You can't run another mile. You, you, know, you, you don't want to fight this pain anymore that you're only at 40% of your maximum and you still have 60% left to give to yourself. And I remember kind of going to that sort of place inside you know, that we all have with all these doctors and nurses and technicians running around and just telling myself, no, you're not done. You have more to give. So I, I think we sell ourselves short that we still have a lot more that we can do. We still have, you know, well, I don't think I can do any more. I'm at the end. No, you're not. You, you have more that you can give to yourself. It's just a matter of whether or not you want to do that or not. Yeah. I love that story, Terry. It actually brought me back. As you know, I'm a can, you know, stage three cancer survivor myself. And I was in the hospital for two weeks. And I remember three days into it, having this epiphany that I am more than just my body, that there is Savio who's in the hospital, who's just got diagnosed with stage three cancer. And then there's the other part of Savio that obviously wants to live and had, had my experiences. And I was somehow able to separate the two and say to myself, I'll do the treatment plan, but I need to do what I need to do for my soul, for my emotions, for my you know, all the other sort of areas of my life. And it just sort of brought me back to that moment. So thank you for that. Oh, you're, you're welcome. And, and, and as you know, that's, you know, that we have these parts. And I, I had a nurse ask me, you know, what it was like, you know, to have my foot amputated and my leg amputated. And, and I kind of told her the same thing you just said. I said, you know, I am more than the sum of my parts. You know, I mean, you can lop off whatever you want to lop off. You can lock up an arm or another leg, whatever you want. That's not who I am. That's that's just wh who I am. That that's the what contains who I am. I guess, for lack of a better, you know, kind of like an egg. You know, I mean, we throw away the shell, but what what's really important is the innards. I mean, that's kind of the way I looked at it. You know, we are we're so much more. Our soul, our heart, our you know, our mind, and and you, cancer can't do anything to that. It can do something to the outside, but it can't do anything to the inside. So I'm going to ask you a big question now. Okay. What would your legacy like to be? You know, I've, I've been asked that before on, on several podcasts. And, and, and I, you know, I don't have any great aspirations that, you know, nobody's ever going to name a road after me or a building <laughs> or anything. I mean, that, that's, that's never going to happen. And I guess my legacy is I want to put as much positivity, as much goodness, as much love back into the world with whatever time that I have left. And it's, you know, one of the 
the, the four truths is, you know, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And, and I think that's, that's all our legacy. You know, how I touch you, how you touch me, how, you know, you, your audience is touched by our discussion and things like that. That's what we're weaving into the hearts of other people. And if we weave good things, if we weave, you know, that love, that positivity, that goodness, then I think even if we're not remembered the experience that those people have that come after us, you know, I, I always ask people, especially when I talk, I like, you know, think about the end game of your life. What, what are people going to say about you at your funeral? And, and maybe more importantly, would your ancestors be happy with the life that you led? That, that you led, you know, what, you know, I, I, I look back on, you know, I'm, I'm part Irish, I'm part German. I look back on, you know, with, with, with all these people that struggled that, you know, to, to, to come over here and, and to build a life and things like that. And I am so much better off than they are. Would they be happy? Would they be proud of the life that I led? You know, I hope so. I hope so. But I always ask people that, you know, think about those people. Think about your great, great, great grandmother and father would they be happy with what, you know, with what you've done with your life? Just get people to think sort of about the big picture. So what would you hope people say about you? Uh, I, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I, I don't, you know, it's funny. I don't spend a lot of time worrying about what other people say or think about me. I, I, I do what I feel is right for me. You know, I, like I said, I, I don't fear death because I, I think I've found and lived my purpose. And, and really my purpose now is to help other people find and live their purpose. I, I, I wrote a book last year and, and part of the impetus of that book was a conversation I had with a former player who had moved to where my wife and I live and, and we had dinner with her. And, and I remember saying to her, I'm really glad you're kind of living close because I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet. She was like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I don't know what your purpose is. That's what your life should be about, finding that purpose. And then once you find it, live it. So I, I hope people say, you know what? He found his purpose. He lived it. He made a difference. And now it's time to move on. I love that. <laughs> that could not be said better. Well, thank you, Terry. This was a fascinating, seriously fascinating um, session with you. I really I appreciate, appreciate it, Savio. Thank you very much for it's. It's people like you that, you know, give people like me an opportunity. And I, I think between the two of us, hopefully we made a difference in somebody's life. Absolutely. Thank you again. Thank you. Hi there. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. They can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com where I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions, daily prompts to move in the right direction, sync directly to your smartphone, and a subscription to my weekly newsletter where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living. <laughs>